0: Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 109. The title of today's episode is... Oh, no! We suck again! Ugly. We were talking on Friday's podcast about wanting to see some progression. Even if it didn't mean a win, which you hoped it would... We needed to see some steps forward. I don't know that we saw any, really. The numbers for Jordan Love weren't bad. Two touchdowns, one pick, but all of those could have been interceptions. The two touchdowns easily could have been interceptions or turnover on downs. I don't know that we saw a whole lot. And to me, the question now, six games into this year, and we're not going to have an answer really until the end of the year, I guess is are these growing pains or are they just pains? Because if they're growing pains and they're going to take their lumps and they're going to learn from this and the muscle memory and they're not going to make these mistakes again, if they're going to learn and progress, that's fine. If these are just pains and love isn't the guy and LaFleur isn't the guy and maybe Goody isn't the guy, that's what we have to figure out. Are these growing pains or are they just pains? We'll break it all down. Ugly afternoon in Denver against one of the worst teams in the NFL. We may be the worst team in the NFL. Meanwhile, the Badgers. How about that? little comeback win against Brett Bielema in Illinois. Looked dead to rights the first three quarters of that game. Do the Badgers have a quarterback? Braden Locke started to turn it on, started to gain some confidence. He's got a hell of an arm. Dropped one in the bucket to Skylar Bell. Touchdown pass to an offensive lineman. Phil Longo getting creative. Braylon Allen at his best game in about a year and a half. They get a win and an Iowa loss, and all of a sudden, maybe the Big Ten West is still in play, even with Ohio State coming to Camp Randall. We've got a point spread on that game already, by the way. We'll talk about all of that. And we'll talk a little baseball and Bucks season opener on Thursday at the end. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Bucs yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10 breaking run. Morgan to smash up the middle face and to center. Here comes Gomez. Around third. A throw and the Brewers win. Here's the snap. He looks, he throws complete. Complete. it. Hit. Hit. And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive. Gets inside. cleans in. Backed away. It's stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. And a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging Good news, maybe, if you are more of a casual Packer fan, which I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you're a casual Packer fan. But if you are, God bless you. Rate and subscribe. But if you are, you could be spending your Sundays in a lot of different ways now. You could move toward just getting some chores done and having it on on the radio in the background instead of sitting there and watching and living and dying with every play. You could move to that. You could totally tune them out. I'm pretty sure our December and January Sundays are not going to be hindered at all. Yesterday, I was out for my run. No big deal. Kind of a big deal, but not really. I was out for a run. We were doing some choreing around the house yesterday and in the backyard and some early season raking and hopefully, probably not the last lawn cutting of the year. Lawns are actually looking good now. If you live in southeastern Wisconsin, it was such a dry summer. The lawn looked like a disaster, and I kind of became sort of a lawn guy during the pandemic when there was nothing else to do. It just looked rough, and we had a bunch of trees taken out and then no rain and the different dynamic in the background in the backyard with the shade with no trees and all that kind of stuff. It just looked bad. We've had these good soaking rains now. I cut the backyard yesterday before the Packer game. I went up there and looked afterwards with the lines and everything. Kind of looked good. It's October. It's almost November, but it looked good. We did a lot of that, and then I just snuck in a quick half-hour run before the Packer game, and it was beautiful outside. The crisp fall air. I wasn't pouring sweat like I had a medical problem when it's summer and it's 85 degrees outside. Getting some clean air. The colors were popping. We're almost at peak fall color in southeastern Wisconsin. A lot of our area is in peak fall color. Just a beautiful day. Sun glowing off those leaves. And I looked at my watch and I thought... I feel great. My legs feel good. It's cold outside. I could go for another hour, but it's 315 Packers playing 10 minutes. All right, let's make our way back. Let's loop around through the neighborhood and get back for the Packer game. And then about 25-ish minutes into that Packer game, I thought, why did I do that? I could have done something good for my health, my mental health, as well as my physical health. And now I'm sitting here inside watching this crap. Just an ugly performance again. And If you're blaming LaFleur, if you're blaming Goody, if you're blaming Love, I know the blame game's happening right now. It's like the Spider-Man meme. Everyone's pointing at each other. There are so many different people you could look to. I've got great news for all of you. You're all right. Everybody is correct. If you're blaming Jordan Love, that's where a lot of the blame is falling. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. That's fine. He looked not good again yesterday. The raw numbers, I think it was technically his best quarterback rating. Let's go back and look at the game log here for Jordan Love. He had a quarterback rating of 123 in week one. Oh, remember that, beating the brakes off the Bears and three touchdown no-pick performance. Then he had three TDs, no-picks against Atlanta, quarterback rating of 113. That went down to 67 in, against New Orleans, but you had the fourth quarter comeback. 69.9, nice against Detroit. 32, a gentleman's 32 against Vegas. It was a 91 QB rating against the Broncos. That's his best quarterback rating in a game since week two. You could easily make a case, though, the two touchdown passes. One was underthrown to Romeo Dobbs, and that was fail Mary PTSD. Luckily, the right call was made there. Gene Sterator, when they came back from commercial break from the clouds, with just an all-time terrible take that basically no official on Twitter or anybody that had former officiating in the NFL or college football experience, basically they all said they didn't know where that came from. Remember, they came back, and Sterator on that dual catch said, well, technically – the Bronco cornerback had his two feet down before Romeo Dobbs had his two feet down. I've watched football my entire life, 40 years, every Sunday, every Saturday. I have never heard of that. I've never heard of that. If you look at the rule book of the NFL's simultaneous possession, it says as clear as day, dual possession tie belongs to the offensive player. I've never heard of that. Who had their two feet down first rule because it's not a rule. Gene Steratore. Kevin Harlan, you could tell, too, during the broadcast. After Gene went on and on and on about that, there was a little bit of a break, a dot, dot, dot of uh, an audible ellipses. And then Kevin Harlan said something to the effect of, well, that's definitely a take. That's a different take. That was underthrown, though. That easily could have been intercepted. And the other touchdown pass he had was the volleyball deflection, where he tried to sidearm sling it into Dobbs, hit off of his fingertips, and somehow ended up in the hands of Jaden Reed. It was like spinning the bullet. This Jordan Love guy's got it. Nobody's thinking two moves that he's playing chess. Instead of throwing it to the receiver I intended to, bounce it up his fingertips, find somebody else in the back of the end zone. Well, you could have easily had another horrific zero touchdown three-pick game like he had against Vegas. But there's not a lot to like about any of this. The personnel on the field, the injuries are piling up again, more injuries yesterday. Let's start with Matt LaFleur, though. If you had to blame one person... <laughs> And I know, like I just said, you could point the finger at anybody and feel like you've got a valid case or an argument why it's Goody's fault, why it's Love's fault, why it's LaFleur's fault, whatever. Matt LaFleur, he is not a motivator of men. I think we, we know that now about Matt LaFleur. That's not to say he can't be a good NFL coach. If you're a good schemer, good play caller, he just doesn't seem to have that Dan Campbell factor, that it factor, that Sean McVay factor where guys are going to fall on the sword for him, they get revved up for him. I don't know that he has that. Clearly the last 3 or 4 or 5 weeks, they're just they don't they don't do anything in the first half. They don't show up in the first half. It's lukewarm at best. You know what this team looks like in the first half of games when you have leftovers in your fridge and you're putting them in the microwave to heat them up and you put it in for a minute or two and you take it out And you just want to eat and be on with your day. And the top part of whatever you're reheating is hot. And then you put your finger on it or whatever. And the middle part is still kind of cold. But if you stir it, if you just stir it, some of that warm top will meld with the middle. And it'll be good enough. Because you don't want to put it back in the microwave and wait another minute or two. You just want to eat. And then you sit down and two bites in, you think, oh, I should have heated this up more. (laughs) I should have put it back in. That's what this team looks like in the first half of games. They're just lukewarm, reheated leftovers. Nothing under their legs, no rhythm whatsoever, no sense of urgency, and it's every week. And they asked him about it. Hey, guess who took accountability? I bet you'll never guess who took accountability. It's every week where they just don't seem to come out with any kind of focus or energy. They have scored, I forget who had this on Twitter yesterday, six total points in the last four games in the first half combined. The last four first halves combined six points. And we're talking about a Bronco defense that is the worst or one of the worst in the entire National Football League. And they scored a fat zero against them in the first half, down nine to nothing at halftime. Just couldn't move the ball. We're not crisp at all. And they asked LaFleur about that and they said, What kind of adjustments did you make from the bye week to get them? more ready to play in the first half, or how, how did that look on Sunday? And he said, basically, none of what we tried to implement or nothing that we tried to do was successful in order to get this team going. They did play better in the second half. Still not very good, but they did play better in the second half. Nowhere to go but up, and put together three scoring drives and got the lead eventually and put themselves in a place to win. If they could have done that for the whole game, you probably do find a way to win this game by a field goal or by a touchdown. They just sleepwalk through these first halves, which for a young team that has proven nothing. I think we talked about that after maybe the Lions game or even the Vegas game. That's what's so mind-boggling about it. You don't have a championship-caliber team that knows it can flip the switch at a certain point against certain teams and knows that it can get a win against those teams. If this were the, I don't know, 2020 Packers playing a 1-5 in Denver team, if you sleepwalk through the first half, the likelihood is that Devontae and Rodgers, they can figure it out and flip a switch, and they'll find a way to get in front in the early fourth quarter, and that team will find their way to a win. I don't understand why that's a problem with a young team. None of these guys have proven anything. A lot of them are on rookie contracts. They're not making the boatloads of money that you see once you get past those rookie contracts. There is a lot on the line here, not just in terms of wins and losses, but in terms of personal success, in terms of future contracts. I cannot understand why they come out like they're in stage four REM sleep every first half of every game. That, to me, is on Matt LaFleur. And the play calling early from Matt LaFleur, really throughout the game, but especially early. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if it's the players that he has, if it's that he's afraid to call certain plays, if it's that he doesn't trust Jordan Love. I don't know. I have no idea. The plays they are calling, though, I can't tell you how many times I think that's the play call. I say it out loud. Ask my wife. That's the play call. They have so many plays where they're doing triple motions and running guys around the end, and it's all such hard work to get three yards. It's such hard work. I've never seen a team work harder for so many plays that end up gaining two, two two-and-a-half, or three yards. The play calling is a mess. You remember at the beginning of the year, I said stupidly, and a lot of people said this, you know what will be fun about this year? Fun. I use the word fun. (laughs) You know what will be fun about this year? We're finally going to get to see the Matt LaFleur offense because we know Aaron Rodgers audible out of a ton of stuff. And there are a lot of RPOs, run pass options, mom, where the quarterback can decide at the line of scrimmage, are we going to run or are we going to pass? A lot of the options belong to Rodgers. And Rodgers, because of the Hall of Fame credentials and the title and the Super Bowl MVP and all the four MVPs and all that stuff, he was given the keys to the car and allowed to make those changes. Coming into this year with no pedigree and no resume, you knew that Jordan Love was going to run the plays. Whatever play they called, Jordan Love was going to run that play. It wasn't going to be like Aaron Rodgers where they were going to give him a million different options. They want to try to keep it as simple as possible, you'd think, even though some of these play calls and the design of them, you've got the youngest team in the league, you think, why are we doing this? We're throwing it, we're pitching it out to our third string running back who's throwing it across the field to this guy. You don't have the personnel for that. You don't have the leadership for that. You don't have the veterans to figure those kind of plays out. Either way, though, we figured coming into this year, we would actually see the Matt LaFleur offense run in its purest form, in its simplest form. And through six weeks, maybe we're starting to find out why Aaron Rodgers was audibling out of all these different types of sets and why Aaron Rodgers was covering up some of those ills. Even bad Aaron Rodgers last year and the team was bad and it just wasn't a team that was going anywhere, maybe he even covered it up then. Because the more we see this Matt LaFleur offense, if they're just running it to a and they're running the plays that are being called for them, you got to scratch your head at some of these calls, and that combined with how slowly they come out, that to me points directly to Matt LaFleur. If you made me, and I realize again, you could make a case for any of these people being an issue, the quarterback, the GM, the coach. If you made me pick one, right now I'm saying Matt LaFleur. We said on the podcast, was it three weeks ago? After another game that had bad play calls, I think I threw out there, what if Matt LaFleur is just good-looking Mike Sherman? I'm starting to think that might be an insult to Mike Sherman. That may actually be a bullet lobbed at Mike Sherman. I was texting a buddy yesterday about that, and I just threw out to him, if you could have Mike Sherman calling plays right now, circa 2003 or 2004, do you take that over what we're seeing from LaFleur? And he text, his response was instantaneous. Yes, I would. That's not good. The fact that the answer was yes is not good, and the fact that the answer came that quickly is not good. Good-looking Mike Sherman may actually be a shot at Mike Sherman. Because those offenses never really looked as poor as this one does. There are a lot of factors, of course. The offensive line is still young and not playing well. They didn't give up a sack yesterday. I understand that. They had a ton of penalties. Some of them justified, some not. If you want to get into the officiating yesterday, I guess we can. Did it cost them the game? No. There were just some really rough calls early that did not go Green Bay's way. And even, what was it, a Josh Myers false start on that first or second drive, No pass interference on a pass down the field to Romeo Dobbs that ended up being a hold on somebody else on the Packers side of things. The calls were up and down all day. The offensive line did not allow a sack, but it also had Love under duress for a lot of that game. He was able to get the ball out or throw it away, and they also had some crucial penalties on that offensive line. That is a factor. Love is a factor. The play calling is a factor. But to me right now, the arrow points at Matt LaFleur. He has to find a way to do better with this roster. I don't think this roster is completely devoid of talent to where they should be 2-4 and and losing back-to-back games to bad teams. Because that's what's happened. They had extra days to prepare for a bad Raiders team, which finally lived up to my billing. I've been preaching how bad the Raiders are all year, and they looked horrible against Chicago. Chicago boat raced them yesterday. They had extra days to prepare for the Las Vegas Raiders and looked terrible and bad in the first half. Then they had an extra week to prepare for the Broncos, the 1-5 Broncos with the worst defense in the NFL. You had an extra week to prepare for that, and you couldn't score in the first half, and you end up losing the game 19-17. to This, to me, points back to Matt LaFleur. If you're going to give me one person to blame right now, again... We can talk about Jordan Love right now. It didn't look good. We did not see the steps forward. Remember on Friday's podcast, we said win or lose. You at least want to see some steps forward from where we've gone. It started very good for Jordan Love with the two first games. Then the fourth quarter comeback in week three. Not very good in week four. Not very good at all in week five. Terrible in week five. He was okay during the bye week in week six. We'll give him a pass on that one. Remember we've been doing? All year long we've been doing, can Jordan Love, first-year starter Jordan Love, be as good as crappy Aaron Rodgers from last year? Because if he could be, we all felt like this team could still win maybe eight or nine games and threaten for a playoff spot. If you pass-fail him every week, he passed week one, he passed week two, we'll pass him week three with the fourth-quarter comeback. Fail week four, fail week five, we'll pass him week six, the bye week, and a fail in week seven. He ends up with that two-touchdown, one-pick line, as we said, Both of those touchdowns easily could have either been incomplete passes or interceptions. He doesn't seem to have a lot of confidence right now. That, to me, would be the most concerning thing about Jordan Love. He's not playing with a lot of confidence. He's not putting any steam on the ball with any kind of confidence. Matt LaVleur really isn't calling plays like he has confidence in Jordan Love. He needs a game where he just gets out of his head and they open up the playbook and just see what happens. And if it means a four-pick game, so be it. They can't keep tiptoeing around this, though. The play calling is play calling where it just seems like they are afraid of putting too much on Jordan Love. And Jordan Love probably feeling that with the play calls and feeling it from the coaching staff not having a ton of confidence in him, that is translating onto the field. A lot of under throws. The deep ball is still atrocious. There were some things that you liked from Jordan Love. I thought he had a good head for when to scramble. Some of those were designed runs. Some of the intermediate throws and the short throws looked okay obviously the deep ball is a big, big problem. And that reared its head very large late in the game on that final play. As soon as he cocked that ball back, did anybody think that was going to be a successful throw? As soon as he chucked that, I mean, you always hope, you always pray, oh, maybe this will find a receiver, maybe there will be a pass interference. As soon as he launched that, though, you just knew it was trouble, throwing in a double coverage, interception that ends the game, much like it did in underthrowing a deep ball against Vegas. And then the worst part for Love was if you see the still of that from above Head from like the blimp cam or whatever, drone cam. The moment that he throws, he has A.J. Dillon leaking out on the left side. Nobody's around him. If he just flips it three yard past A.J. Dillon, Dillon runs for at least 10 to 15 yards. That sets up a more manageable fourth down. Or it maybe even gave you a shot at a 55, 56 yard that could have won the game. Anders Carlson missed one. His first miss, Kevin Harlan jinxed him. Then he made one. I think on that play, if he just gets it to A.J. Dillon when he's open in the flat and A.J. Dillon picks up 15 yards, that puts him at about the Bronco 40-yard line. What is that, a 57-yarder? You would have that debate then of should we go for it on fourth and four or fourth and five or should you try a kick that could win the game? Puts you in a spot where you could win 20-19. He just didn't see it, and he was thinking deep all the entire time there, and you didn't have to have it at that moment on third and 20. Now, you would have had to have it. If it was incomplete or whatever it was, you would have had to have it on that final down, but there was no reason to throw it, under throw it, first of all, into double coverage like that late in the game. Not a lot to love about Jordan Love's performance, again, despite the numbers being somewhat better. We're just we're still not seeing any steps forward. On Friday, remember, we said against this defense, we got to see it. You have to see it. This is one of the worst defenses in the league. This Packer offense is clearly not the Dolphins offense that put 70 points and could have put more on this Bronco defense. Well, the Bronco defense is 31st or 30th or 32nd in basically every metric, and the fact that we didn't even see a half step forward for Jordan Love from where he came against Vegas – even though the numbers were better, is a tad concerning. It's a tad concerning. And that's what you're seeing a lot of on Packer Twitter right now. I think I blame LaFleur, like we just said, if I had to pick one person, Goody, LaFleur, or Love, a lot of folks are going after Jordan Love, which is to be expected. He's the quarterback. It's the high-profile spot. He's taken over for a Hall of Fame quarterback. Looked good early in the year. That has tailed off significantly, and this is what's going to happen in the social media era that we live in, where fans can really air their grievances. This, that's what's going to happen. It seems most of Twitter, Packer Twitter or Packer Facebook or whatever, seem to be saying we've got to move on from Jordan Love. Now, they're not going to do that. I still want to see the full year from Jordan Love. If you have decided that Jordan Love is not the guy, and based on what you've seen in six games plus a couple of starts and the little cup of coffee he had against Philly last year, if you have decided at this point that you've seen enough and you're done with him, Fine. I still want to see the full year. I said that last week. I said it after the Vegas game. I still want the full 17 games, and that's what they're going to do. I know there are a lot of fans that said put in Clifford. We want to see what Sean Clifford has. They're not going to do that unless they lose six or seven or eight in a row, which could happen. Then maybe the final two weeks or the final week of the regular season, if this team is sitting on three or four wins or five wins and it's week 17 or week 18 or whatever it is now, maybe you see Clifford then. But they have so much money and the draft capital, and the decision to get go move on from Aaron Rodgers and go to this guy, they've got so much invested in Jordan Love. They are not going to put Clifford in in whatever it is. Week 8, is that what's coming up? They're not going to put Clifford in in Week 8, barring injury. They're not going to put him in in Week 10. They're not going to put him in in Week 13. I understand that given what we saw yesterday, and given what we saw against Vegas, and given what we saw against Detroit, and basically every game since that New Orleans comeback – I can certainly understand why fans want to see if there's anything there with Sean Clifford. They're not going to do that until we are in a dire circumstance in the second to last or last week of the year. Or if Jordan Love gets hurt, then you would see Sean Clifford. And by the way, I don't understand the two factions on Packer Twitter screaming at each other. You've got one faction of people that still kind of believe in Jordan Love or at least want to see the full year of Jordan Love. I would say I belong to that camp. And then you've got the camp that is decisively saying Jordan Love stinks. He's not the guy. At best, he's a backup. We want to see Clifford. We want to move up in the draft and get Caleb Williams or Drake May. And you've got these two fan bases arguing. I don't understand why. If Jordan Love is good, that's good. These are two Packer fans. These are two groups of Packer fans. I assume that two groups of Packer fans, although they may disagree on who's the guy to get them there, I assume both of those groups of people want to see the Packers win. They want to see the Packers in the playoffs. They want to see this team in Super Bowls and winning championships. The goal is the same. If Jordan Love is the guy, that's good for this team. That's why I didn't understand people early in the year, even when Love was playing well, I didn't quite understand that fan base trying to pick it apart and saying, well, he missed this past year, and he missed this past year, and I don't think he's the guy. Jordan Love being the guy is the best case scenario for this team. I don't know how clearly I can say that. But I will also say if he's not the guy and they put Clifford in, I have no problem being wrong and saying Sean Clifford is the guy. That's also good. If this Packer team has the next franchise quarterback on their roster right now, whether it's Jordan Love or Sean Clifford or do they even have a third quarterback? I don't think they do. I'm fine with either of that. If it ends up at the end of this year that Jordan Love stinks and you go to me and say, hey, remember when you thought Jordan Love was good after week three, John? You idiot. Sean Clifford's the guy. I'm fine with that. I don't. I just want the Packers to win games. I want them to be in the playoffs. I want to contend for titles. If they drafted in whatever round it was last draft, the fourth round, Sean Clifford, and Clifford ends up being the guy, that's a good thing. The next franchise quarterback being on this roster is a good thing. I want it to be love. If it's not love and it's Clifford, I'm totally fine with that. But you did see a lot of that at the end of the game yesterday. People that are just done with love after six games and are ready to move on. The list to me of quarterbacks in the NFL that had bad first years or bad first full years as a starter. And I know people are going to say, oh, he had three years to learn. He had three years behind Rodgers and three years of coaching. This isn't really his first year. Well, it's his first year seeing live NFL defenses. It's his first year in actual NFL games with real ramifications. If you look back to Trevor Lawrence's rookie year, he was bad. Jalen Hurts' rookie year, he was bad. I mean, the list is long of young quarterbacks who take a year, a year and a half to develop. I'm not saying he's going to be that guy. In fact, right now it's hard to say that given what we've seen. I'm just saying pulling the plug completely on this guy after six games could be a mistake. This team doesn't seem like it's going anywhere at this point at 2-4. and May as well see the full boat here. May as well see the full year. If you go through 17 games and there's no point of progression and there's no positive vibes around him and there's no reason to be optimistic, then I think at the end of the year you can say, okay, we got to figure out what we have with Clifford. We maybe have to draft a quarterback, whatever. To me, just me, I have to see the full schedule of games this year. But if Clifford's the guy, if it ends up that Love is not the guy... And Clifford is the guy. Good. Good. That's that's great. That's fantastic. Well, Jordan Love again, pretty subpar on Sunday against a really bad Denver team. Some of the things I thought that were okay on Sunday, no, Aaron Jones got the ball 11 times. Let's just hit on that real quick since we talked about the record when he gets the ball 15 times or more, 35-2 and two. in 37 games when Aaron Jones touches the ball 15 times, they're 35-2. What did I say on Friday's podcast? If he's out there and he doesn't get 15 touches, I'm going to lose my mind. Well, here we are. 11 touches combined receiving and rushing on Sunday. If he is on a pitch count, then just rest him. I don't understand this. If he – he says he's 100%. Now, maybe that's just player mentality and saying, all right, if I'm out there, I'm 100%. If he is not 100% with a soft tissue injury like a hamstring injury – then don't play him. I I don't understand this. If he is not good enough to be out there right now and get him the ball 15 times to put yourself in a position to win, then don't have him out there. 11 touches, again, under 15 for Aaron Jones on Sunday. If he has four more touches in a game, they lost by two points. If he has four more touches and one of those is a game-breaker where he picks up 30-plus yards, they may win that game. He had less than 15 touches. A.J. Dillon, he had 15 carries. I thought he actually ran harder and better than he has all year. He had 60 yards on the ground. He had 30 yards receiving. That reception he had on the final drive, I thought that was going to set up a potential game-winning field goal. He had that nice catch over the middle and was able to run it into Bronco territory. I thought he ran pretty hard. It's been a lackluster year for A.J. Dillon for the most part, and on Sunday that was the best he has looked to me so far in 2023. What else was there a little silver lining on? Not a month. Not not much. Robio Dobbs did fight for that touchdown reception. That was good. Let's just click on the box score here. The defense, I mean, they gave up 19 points. I feel like we're a broken record at this point with the defense. They gave up 17 points against the Raiders. You should win a game in the NFL where your defense gives up 17 points. They gave up 19 points to the Broncos. You should win a game against a team with the worst defense in the league if you only give up 19 points. This offense should be able to score 20 plus points against the worst defense in the league. The most frustrating defensive sequence to me on Sunday was after the Packers got the lead and they got up 17 to 16 with what 5 minutes left. Then that drive was the softest drive of the day. That was a ten ply drive. That was a baby food soft drive from Joe Barry. Joe Barry played defense and schemed up defense on that drive like they were up by 10 points and they were okay with giving up a field goal. It made no sense. Overall, the raw numbers, you give up 19 points, or they give up on the ground, 145 yards, 6 yards of carrying, not good. You gave up 19 points. You put your team in a position to win that game, but that drive in particular, where they were just sitting in soft zone, and the Broncos nickel and dimed them all the way down the field to get in field goal range and get back in front by 2 points, that was a frustrating display from Joe Barry's defense, despite the fact that they had they did enough on Sunday where the Packers probably should have won that game. Romeo Dobbs, a couple of catches. Luke Musgrave had four catches. He got lit up and left the game and did not return. That's another problem. More injuries. Jair didn't play. That was kind of a surprise, even though that back cropped up at the end of the week last week. He doesn't make it on the field. Dontavian Wicks, who had a good throw. Dontavian Wicks had a good throw. That led to, and you knew it was coming on Twitter after Wicks had that... Completed pass for 13 yards on the trick play. As soon as he threw that and it was completed, I knew exactly what we were going to see on Twitter. Well, maybe Dontavian Weeks is the best quarterback we have on this roster. He left and did return. Christian Watson on that last drive got laid out trying to go back and catch a ball that was behind him. He ran to the sideline, fell over, and I texted my buddy Nick the second we saw that and he fell over on the sideline. I said, that's four to six weeks. That to me, Christian Watson's one of those guys where so far in his career – Anytime he goes down, anytime he leaves the field, you feel like that's two to three weeks minimum. That looked like a four-to-six-week fallover by Christian Watson on the sideline. Anything else you really liked from Sunday? (laughs) Not a ton. Isaiah McDuffie had ten tackles. I don't know. Not a whole lot to glean from a game where you were taking out a team that's one and five with the worst defense in the league, and you still ended up losing that game. Now you look to Minnesota, and I guess at this point in the year, at two and four, you're just hoping to see something, some type of progression at any point this year, I will say we talked on the podcast, maybe it was the bye week where we were comparing love to Rogers from 08 and this team to the team from 08, that last transition year that we really had where they were moving on from a hall of fame quarterback to a younger quarterback. And we did that little apples to oranges comparison because the rosters aren't the same. The teams aren't the same. The coaching isn't the same. I will say now through six weeks, I remember the 08 season fairly well and thinking, out of most games, there were things that you liked to see. There was something you liked from Rodgers. There was something you liked from a young receiver. There was something you liked from Charles Woodson. That team lost so many close games in route to a 6-10 and 10 year. I remember feeling better at this point in 2008 than I do now. I don't know how good I feel right now about anything. You're losing to bad teams with extra time to prepare. You're sitting at 2-4. and four. The team overall and the new quarterback have taken steps back. If we're going to use that. As the talking point for a lot of this year, given the similarities of moving on to a new franchise quarterback, I felt a lot better at this point in 2008 than I do about the current team now. And that's the whole team. It's not just Jordan Love. The talent level on this team, the coaching of this team, I just remember feeling okay about that in 2008 after most Sundays or Mondays or whenever they played. Don't have a real good feeling about where we're at right now with this team. You look at the schedule – I had somebody Facebook me and say, Show me where there's two more wins on the schedule. I don't know. They've got the Vikings at home, no Justin Jefferson, but you just lost to Denver and then you lost to the Raiders. I mean, you could easily lose that game at home to the Vikings. The Rams are playing okay with Stafford and Cooper Cutback. You're at Pittsburgh then. They're 4-2. The Chargers at home, they have way more talent than you're at Detroit on Thanksgiving Day. Then you've got Kansas City. The good news about the Kansas City game is it's prime time, and if they stay prime time, we'll be watching Taylor Swift more than we will be watching the game. That might actually be a good thing. Then you're at New York on a Monday night, or maybe that's a game you win. They've got Carolina winless right now. Carolina's 0-6. They play at Carolina on Christmas Eve. Maybe that's a win, but that to me feels like a spot where the Panthers might be 0-12 and they give their team or their fan base a Christmas gift with a win against the Packers. It's tough to find. It is. I mean, right now, if they keep playing like they are in the last three weeks and they play that way every game for the remainder of the year, this team is going to be lucky to win four or five games. If they can find ways to improve and Love's confidence grows a little bit and LaFleur's play calling gets a bit better and he finds a way to tailor a game plan more to Jordan Love and they start putting some points up, Maybe you can start to feel better about some of these Sundays, even if you win or lose, if you lose, but you saw something you liked. It is tough right now to watch this team, A, and then B, to look at the schedule and find any way that they could get to seven or eight wins or anything close to that. It's tough to find two more wins on the schedule. They get set for the Vikings at Lambeau this coming Sunday. That'll be a noon kickoff. we got a lot of noon kickoffs. If you're a noon kickoff person... There's a lot of them on the way. The next four weeks in a row are all noon kickoffs, back-to-back at Lambeau, then in Pittsburgh, then back at Lambeau against the Los Angeles Chargers on November 19th. All right, let's talk about the Badgers a little bit. That was okay. All right, that was not bad. Brayden Locke, late in that game, started to find something. Redshirt freshman quarterback. He was tossed into the fire against a good Iowa defense down at home the previous week. With a week to prepare and to be throwing to the ones and getting all the game plan catered to him, it wasn't great early, but this team found its footing. They were down 21-7. to They were on the verge of losing for the second straight year to Brett Bielema. By the way, Brett Bielema, it's a bold choice to wear orange, my man. That's a bold choice. He was wearing an orange tarp on the sideline. Illinois' colors are orange and navy blue. Navy blue is a much slimmer color. (laughs) I would think you want darks, buddy. You want to wear darks. But it was 21-7 Illinois, third quarter, looked like it was going to be another bad loss, and all of a sudden, the defense started to make some plays, and Braden Locke started to complete some throws. Locke's got a hell of an arm, and to the point where it's almost too much of an arm. He has to find a bit more touch. He'll be launching rockets in there on five or six-yard passes or eight-yard intermediate routes. He's going to need to develop some touch, but he has a great arm. You feel like he can basically throw it as deep or as far as he needs to. He completed some passes. They got Braylon Allen the ball more consistently. Braylon Allen had his best game probably in a year and a half. And maybe Phil Longo learned something about that on Saturday. Maybe he figured out, okay, in the Big Ten, with a back like this, he's our best player. We need to get him the ball more in easier down and distance and get him the ball in between the tackles. He used Allen smartly on Saturday, and Allen had his best game all year and probably his best game in the last two years, 29 carries, 145 yards and a touchdown, and that opened things up for Locke. Once they established that ground game and Allen was bowling people over, no coincidence that in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter, the passing lanes got a little wider, and Locks got a good arm, and he started finding his guys. Touchdown pass to Will Pauling, where Pauling went up and got that ball. Love what we're seeing from Will Pauling. The transfer from Cincinnati, seven catches, 95 yards, and that touchdown on Saturday. C.J. Williams made a couple of nice catches, and Skylar Bell, that final drive. Bell, who's had the dropsies, he's had three of them this year that should have been easy deep touchdown passes from Tanner Mordecai that he's dropped. They had on that final drive an over-the-shoulder 30-yard throw. Locke dropped it in the bucket, right in his bread basket, and Bell made the catch, and that's what set them up inside the five-yard line. Then how about the stones on Phil Longo <laughs> in that situation Game on the line, and you dial up your young five-star offensive tackle, your left tackle, Nolan Rucci, to leak out. Nobody followed him on that play. He declared himself eligible. Nobody paid any attention to him. And I remember watching that play, and then I said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's wide open. And you toss it to him and then you're always worried with an offensive lineman when you have that much space and nobody around you, can the big fella haul it in? And he did. Here was the call on FS1. Lock! Man wide open! Touchdown! (laughs) Little over the top. Touchdown, Rucci! The other one! That's Nolan Rucci, folks! Overall, I did not like that broadcast and crew on Saturday, and a part of that was probably because the Badgers were playing bad for most of the day. That call I love though. <laughs> I enjoyed that call. For the most part, that broadcast felt so over the top and so kind of Gus Johnson wannabe, and he called Braylon Allen Braylon Adams about six different times during the course of the game. Braylon Allen is the best skill player of both teams <laughs> that entire afternoon, and you're getting his name wrong pretty consistently like 30% of the time. But I did like that call. That was a a little enthusiasm. I don't mind it. Not in that second. Lockhead, nice touch on that pass. They take that 25-21 lead. They get the stand then with about 25 or whatever it was, 26 seconds left. And you get a good rally win. This is a win that I feel like is a progressive step, even though it's against Illinois and that's still a team that you want to blow out by 20 points or whatever it is. Given how they looked early in that game, the way they came together, the way a redshirt freshman quarterback started to gain some confidence and his teammates got confidence in him, to rally on the road when you look deader than dead, outscore the Illini 18 to nothing in the fourth quarter, and to get a win like that, even though it's not the 55 7 win or the 45 10 win that we're no longer even waiting for. We're not, like I said, I'm not waiting for that kind of a game anymore given what we've seen so far this year and coming out of Saturday, there's no reason to think that that game is coming against anybody. Maybe it will Northwestern. Maybe, maybe still the way they rallied around each other, around a young quarterback, they made the plays and they got it done on the road. Those were encouraging steps. That was an encouraging game. A 25 to 21 win on Saturday, that gets into five and two. Now, I know on Friday's podcast, we said this team is going nowhere, so it's probably best to get a look at all of these young quarterbacks that you have on your roster. Well, the Badgers win, and then Iowa somehow at home loses to Minnesota. Did you see the end of that game? It was a 12 to 10 game with a minute 20 left. Minnesota punting. Iowa runs the punt back for a touchdown, which is basically the game winner. There would have been time left. There was no chance Minnesota was getting down the field in a minute and five seconds against that Iowa defense to score a touchdown to win. That would have been the game-winning punt return. The officials say that the Iowa returner called for a fair catch so he couldn't advance the ball. When you look at the replay, he didn't call for a fair catch at all. He was waving his arms like an umpire signaling safe, and that just meant get away from the ball, get away from the ball. His hand was not over his head. I don't know how that call stood or maybe you couldn't review it. That would have been a game-winning punt return touchdown for Iowa because they called that he had said fair catch. It didn't count. They couldn't score, and Minnesota won 12-10. to So all of a sudden, the Badgers are 5-2, and 3-1 and in conference. Iowa now has two conference losses. Now you assume the Badgers are still going to lose to Ohio State, right? That would put the Badgers at two conference losses. And because Iowa has the tiebreaker, they would then be back in first place. But now you're in a spot where if you're the Badgers and you think Brayden Locke could be the guy and he continues to get better and better and better as the weeks go by, if you lose to Ohio State but then you're able to beat Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, and Minnesota – All Iowa would need to do then is lose one more game, and with how putrid their offense is, I guess that's not that far-fetched. I know we wrote the Big Ten West Championship off the last time we talked with each other on Friday, and in a blink, the Badgers are back in first place, up by a game, and we'll see what they can do against Ohio State. They are 14-and-a-half-point underdogs against Ohio State. That line is already out. It is Zach Halpert had the stats it would be the biggest home dog they've been in 32 years and tied for the sixth largest spread in Madison since 1989. It's actually less than I thought. I thought they'd be 20, 21, 22 point dogs. They are right now 14 and a half pointer dogs. I think that it will get bigger the closer we get to Saturday. You're going to have the Badgers and unbeaten number three Ohio State in Madison, primetime, 6 30, Saturday night, and Halloween weekend in Madison. Could something kooky happen, as Kramer would say, in Madison Saturday night with all the Halloween atmosphere and the party atmosphere. Could you imagine if Braden Locke beat number three Ohio State? Let's just live in that world for a split second. It's not going to happen. Still, though, there was a lot to like about Locke, a lot to like about how they utilized Allen, a lot to like about guys like Will Pauling and Skylar Bell coming out of Saturday's come-from-behind win for the Badgers against Brett Bielema, and you get some revenge for those guys that were on that team last year. They lost at home to Illinois. Their head coach gets fired after that. Just a little revenge factor for some of those Badger players on Saturday as well. That was fun to watch. That was a nice conclusion to a Saturday evening. All right, and let's end on what do we have going on in the baseball playoffs. We have a game seven tonight. Rangers thumped the Astros in Houston. Nobody in the ALCS can win at home. The Rangers have won three games in Houston. Houston has won three games in Texas. If that holds, the Rangers will be on their way to the World Series tonight. We've got a game seven, everybody. Texas in Houston, a 7-0-3 first pitch tonight. And then my fight in Phils. I've got the Phillies' future to win the World Series at plus 120. That series was tied at 2 Phillies got a win on Saturday. They are up 3-2. They've got two home games now to win one. Two home games in Philly with that raucous crowd to get one win, get back to the World Series and they could have a rematch with Houston. It might just be a rematch of what we saw in the World Series in 2022. That is early today, Game 6. It is Aaron Nola versus Michael Kelly of Arizona, a 4-0-7 1st pitch. But, again, we've got money on the Phillies. Let's, let's get that ticket punched to the World Series. You can't win the World Series unless you get to the World Series. Hopefully they get that done today. And the Bucks start on Thursday. The over-under on season wins, I don't think I'm going to touch, and that's rare for me. I basically bet the over on every season win total for the Brewers, for the Packers, for the Badgers, for the Bucks. Like we said on Friday's podcast, there is going to be a learning curve here, even now with a Hall of Fame guard and a Hall of Fame forward and Middleton as your third option. There's going to be a stumbling block or two early in this year. Like I said on Friday, if they started 5-5 five and five in their first 10 games while they're feeling things out under a first-year head coach, especially with the Terry Stotts drama we came off of last week, it wouldn't shock me if they stumble a bit out of the gate in our 5-5 five and five or our 10-10 and 10 through their first 20 games. For that reason, I'm staying away from 54.5. That's a lot of wins. They won 56 games last year. Over-under is 54.5 right now with what is likely to be an uneven beginning to their year in October and November and probably part of December. I wouldn't expect this team to fully find their gear until late December, early January. And if you're betting on 54.5, they have to go, what, 55 and 27? That's a lot of wins. You need a team to start quick if you've got the over on that. They would have to go 7-3 and three in their first 10 just to set the tone and get to a point where that's feasible. I think I'm staying away. I think any... <laughs> I'd have to bet the under. If I was being smart with my money, which I rarely am, I think I'd have to bet the under. And there's no fun in that. There's no reason to bet the under on your favorite team in any sport. Why would you do that, I guess? 54.5, though, is the season win total. They open with Philly on national TV, TNT 630 on Thursday. That's the best news coming out of the Packer game on Sunday. Dame, Giannis, and the Bucs play on Thursday. We'll get back after on Friday. We'll be talking about that first game recap of the first Dame-Giannis regular season game. We'll see where we're at with the baseball playoffs. We should have, or we will have, a World Series matchup by then. And we'll get set for Badgers, Ohio State, and Packers and Vikings this coming weekend. We'll chat with you Monday. Have a happy Save Work Week.